Where are venture capitalists looking to catch that highly coveted blockchain uniform? How does Asia fare to the rest of the world and to innovate or regulate who will disrupt and who will fold? Welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into blockchain and the emerging technologies that shape our world at the intersection of business, politics, and economy. It's what we cover right here on Forecast News. I'm Forecast News Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. True Global Ventures, a global technology equity fund out of Singapore, has reserved its $100 million TGV4 Plus fund for blockchain companies. And they are now in search of what could grow to be the next blockchain unicorn. We've already seen one coming out of Asia, Animoca Brands. The play-to-earn blockchain gaming and NFT specialist is also in TGV's portfolio. With GameFi and NFTs continuing its unstoppable rise, Something tells me that Animoca won't be Asia's last blockchain unicorn. Definitely more to come from Asia and around the world. So where are they? Today, I'm joined by two of TGV's partners who will be taking us through the VC landscape in blockchain in Asia. The founder of venture development and education group Mage Spire, Bowie Lau, the co-founder of networking platform ReferReach, Kelly Chu. Bowie, Kelly, welcome to you both to the show. Thank you, Angie. Glad to be here today. Absolutely. I'm so very excited because there's so many people who know that they need to pay attention to Asia, who know that the role that Asia is playing is integral to the innovation and the acceleration of blockchain in this space, who know that this area is just like a giant petri dish of blockchain innovation. But it's really a dark spot for so many people. So I'm super excited to have you both on because you have been making waves in this space for a while. You've just closed your $100 million fund and you're ready to put that capital to work. But I want you to share um, just a little perspective with everyone who, who might not be as familiar with the landscape here. What's happening in Asia? Why are you so excited as VCs to be here, to be in Singapore, to be in Hong Kong, to be in Asia? and put your money to work. Uh, Kelly, I'll start with you. Sure. Thanks, Angie. I think one of the most important things about Asia is that it's always a high growth um, region. And number one, right? Number two, I think a lot of, uh, you know, the youngsters here in, in Asia are gamers by, you know, when they were almost born, right? When they came out, they were like, you know, already on the mobile phones and already, you know, playing games. So I think there's a, there's a leap there. I think a lot of the Asian countries, um, you know, they, they leapt across the, you know, kind of like the PC gaming world. They went directly into mobile. So they're all really into, you know, this kind of games, mobile games and, and whatnot, entertainment, all from the mobile phones. So we're, we're really excited because these are the groups of, you know, people that will be adopting, you know, new technologies really, really quickly. So that's number one, right? Number two, I think there's this whole thing on GameFi and play to earn, right? Uh, you know, like for example, one of the, one of the breakout stars, you know, in the recent months has been Axie Infinity. So they have, uh, you know, kind of like, um, led the way in terms of this whole play to earn, um, revolution that's happening now. And, you know, players can earn anything from 800 US dollars to over thousands of US dollars, right? And, and I would say that in Asia, that amount of money actually makes a difference, right? You can actually pay for the whole family, uh, in terms of the, the, their monthly kind of, uh, expenses. Well, in, in versus, let's like, say, for example, in Europe or in US, 
that could only mean maybe just a week's worth of living expense. So I would say that in Asia, one of the exciting things about this whole play to earn is that a lot of these players are actually putting food on the table. They're actually changing their lives because, you know, they're, they're playing all these games and basically earning a, a living out of it. So we're extremely excited over, over that growth. Um, so, so I think it's the young uh, generation that's coming out, mobile first. And number two, a lot of these game, uh, you know, these play to, earn, play to earn games are now changing their lives. So we're extremely excited over that. Bowie, what do you what do you think is the differential in Asia? Why are you why are you excited about um, the space that you're seeing in Asia? Yeah, so Asia generally has a traditional culture, and most of us have um, traditional parents, and we always have a conservative way of doing things. So with the advent of uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency, it was a liberating experience to the younger generation of millennials and Generation Z. Uh, this finds its way to how uh, traditional finance can be redefined in a more free and decentralized way. And this gave birth to the DeFi movement. And uh, this is an exciting new place that is trying to redefine access to financial products and leverage for people who are not necessarily rich. So, however, even though DeFi looks attractive with a uh, very high interest rate, it is still quite risky. And it's undergoing a lot of evolution to improve and mitigate risk. So innocent DeFi investors can lose 100% of their money they invest. Um, there could be many risks that are associated with DeFi, smart contract bugs, develop, developer oversight, or um, fresh loan attacks or rug pools, um, and scammers due to fraud uh, committed by a few players, um, just to name a few of the potential risks. You know, I think both of you touched on something so integral here, which is this convergence of demographic and emerging developing nation kind of sensibility. So you have this, this, this hunger coming from a young demographic to leapfrog. You also have emerging markets, um, from Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, uh, you know, across much of uh, Southeast Asia and uh, a, a significant part of Asia that's also looking to leapfrog with that innovation. It's an exciting, it's an exciting time to be in this space. Um, Kelly, I, I totally hear you on Axie Infinity. You know, this is a story that, that we've been covering for a while now. Um, and suddenly play to earn is, is the next hottest thing, but it really is that triangulation of economic need that you could literally put food on the table. This is, you know, we saw it emerge out of Vietnam. It caught fire in the Philippines um, where, you know, 70% of that adult population is unbanked. The economic realities of that country is, is you know, it, it, there's such an inequality there. You could you much of the country has to leave the country to make money to send money back uh at home how does blockchain how do all of these things these 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 kind of demographic sensibilities these kind of geographical and um geopolitical sensibilities in asia how does that all kind of froth up into how you make your decisions to put bets on certain things what so obviously, you know, you've got play to earn, but what what else kind of inspires you to put your money to work? 
Yeah, absolutely. Great question there, Angie. So I think uh, first things first is that um, every region, every country is very, very different. So as uh, you know, if, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to target a particular region or a particular country, I guess you really need to understand what is happening in that particular country or region, right? You cannot take the same technology that maybe works in the US or Europe and then just try to transplant it wholesale into Asia, right? You probably will not work, right? Things like affordability, uh, you know, culture, uh, even, you know, risk tolerance, all these things are, are factors within that particular country itself. So I think, uh, number one, um, a lot of these innovations that we see are also coming out from Asia. They don't necessarily, uh, you know, they're not necessarily just coming out from Europe or, or US itself. Although those are the countries that are leading the way in terms of innovations. But we see a lot of other innovations in Asia itself. One of them is uh, this YGG, Guild, uh, Games Guild, right? They are basically a, a kind of community that works around all the play to earn uh, kind of games, be it X Infinity, whether it's Sandbox or any other games that are basically play to earn. So they're really created because there was a need uh, specifically because in the in Philippines, if you're asking someone to pay like a thousand US dollars just to play a game, I mean, nobody will play it. I mean, even in the West, right? Nobody will, will, buy, will pay that kind of money just, just to play a game. So what they've done is that they created a community and they've created such a, a structure that basically those with money can actually fund those without money, who those who are willing to play for, for those who are, you know, have, have the, uh, the capability to actually fund those XC, those little XCs, right? So it has created a community where I think it actually is thriving now, where those who, who like I said, have money are working with those who have time. And this, basically, this synergistic uh, relationship has created this whole guild, right, or this whole community that can function, right? So this, they call this the scholarship uh, me uh, 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 method, right? So basically, people have money funding those with, without. Um, and this created, I think, a lot of, of financial inclusion. So you don't have to spend $1,000. You don't need to take the risk. You just have to take the risk in terms of the time and the skills of playing the game, right? And I, and I really think, personally, if you ask me, this is actually one of the killer apps, right? If you call it the killer apps of solving the unbanked problem. Because people now are very motivated to start a wallet, right? To start a crypto wallet to actually, to, to actually um, use it to put food on the table, to, to pay for the bills. And, and as a result of having that wallet, now they're banked, right? Or so-called banked. And then it's where you can actually obviously put on other financial services like insurance, you know, like home loans, everything else on top of that. So this is, I think, one of the, the interesting part about this whole area, right? That is innovations are also grown up from Asia. It's not just happening in, in uh, you know, Europe or in US. So what you're saying is that, this is really interesting. You're telling me that the metaverse, right? Axie Infinity, uh, you, you've, got, you've got investors backing players in the game. They're playing to earn the game, the gamers are earning money, they're earning tokens, they're earning NFTs. They send a bit of their cut back to their investor. They keep some of the funds. Second layer, what you're talking about that just piqued my interest. You're talking about financial services for these gamers who have been disenfranchised from the system from pretty much day one insurance products, um, banking, exchanges, wealth generation in the metaverse, and all of this is happening in the metaverse? Yes, absolutely, because they have been disenfranchised, right? They, they never 
probably had a had a bank account, or even if they had a bank account, there wasn't much money in there, right? So you know they were they were not they were not seen as targets for you know these financial uh, kind of companies, right? Because they, you know you obviously would not offer a credit card to someone who maybe not deem as credit worthy. But imagine that if you have that wallet that you've been working, you know, you've been working so hard on XE Infinity or any other play to earn game, and that shows you like, you know, your reputation, your credit worthiness, right? Your ability to earn. Then I can, you know, as a, as a new next generation financial, uh, you know, company, I could then, you know, obviously extend to you maybe some credit, maybe some, you know, insurance, because, you know, these are all what we call the next generation jobs, right? It's just similar to like, you know, like in Grab or Uber, right? When, or even uh, any of these, uh, like, you know, uh, uh, Food Panda, right? Where you have all these uh, uh, gig economy workers, a lot of them cannot buy, you know, insurance or they cannot buy certain kinds of products that maybe, you know, someone like a white collar worker could, could do, right? Because they don't have constant income. So this is also an opportunity for, for these, you know, new type of jobs to generate this kind of, uh, you know, credibility or credit score, right? So that they can actually uh, consume these new types of uh, financial products. Where do you find this deal flow, Bowie? Well, you got a great thesis. Where's the deal flow for this? Um, well, the uniqueness of this fund is there are forty over forty partners globally across twenty cities. So each of us, we are. Um, Zero entrepreneurial. Um, we have our own network. I myself am an angel. I do direct investment to different startups. Um, so Kelly is based in Singapore. So all of us are based all over the world. And, um, and I get deals flow almost every day. And I get to, I get to, uh, see the pitch deck and get to, um, have a phone call with them almost on a daily basis. So, uh, deal flow is not, um, an, a, a challenge at all. And I really like the fact that I joined this fund is because I'm strong in Asia Pacific, but I also have partners that cover in other regions in Europe, in US time, uh, area. So, um, yeah. And, and to elaborate a bit more than the four specific verticals that we are highly interested. Um, one is in financial services. Second is in infrastructure. Third is in AI slash data analytics. And last but not least is gaming and entertainment. And all, all integrated back into blockchain technology. Yeah, we have uh, we have a high interest of blockchain, but then I think most of our portfolio companies are with uh, um, our blockchain um, element, but it's not a must. But there are also two more specific um, uh, policy that we apply. Uh, first, um, the startup has to be a zero entrepreneur. Uh, you have to be a uh, this has to be your second startup or or third. Um, and second is that um, you have got to as um founder or co-founder of your startup, you got to invest heavily, a substantial amount of money back into the startup. So if we hit those four vertical and um, match to these two criteria, so come to us. I love it. I think, you know, as people are kind of listening in and learning a little bit more just based on your experience, you know, it, what is what would surprise them if you shared what you, you know, what you knew about Asia, what, what, what do you think would surprise your fellow VCs or your, you know, your peers in, in Europe and the US, you know, what, what surprises them about Asia? Yeah, maybe I can answer that. 
I think one of the things that surprises a lot of, uh, you know, not just our partners, but also I, I guess other VCs about Asia is that they sometimes they think Asia is, you know, one big, uh, you know, continent, just like, you know, maybe in the US or maybe it's like, uh, you know, like Europe, right? I mean, what is Europe, right? There's so many countries under Europe. So they think they, they think Asia is very homogeneous, but which obviously is not. Um, and, you know, they, they, they and I guess they think there's only maybe three or four different languages, which obviously there's not. Right, there's so many different languages. So I think that's one that if they they don't have experience in Asia, they realize that, you know, it's so fragmented. Uh, even if you deploy, you know, like a solution here, it doesn't mean it will work in every part of Asia. So I think that that generally surprises when I when I speak to some of my, you know, partners and, and some of the other VC firms, if they never invested here before. Uh, so that surprises them. And I think the other thing that uh, I think I, re I raised up just now was um, the innovation that's happening here, right? Um, they, they think that you know, obviously blockchain is, is something that only happens or innovation only happens in the West uh, and maybe in Singapore and Hong Kong where uh, you know there's some innovation but actually there's a lot of innovation that's happening in other parts of Asia not just in you know Singapore and in Hong Kong just like the example I gave you in YGG right uh, these are really from ground up and because there's a pain there's a need they have, they have uh, you know innovated well, Axie Infinity is a great example, right? Um, born out of Vietnam. Um, but I think all of us who have been, you know, uh, in the region for, for this long, we know that is a young demographic, highly literate in technology, in the internet, in developing, um, and, and kind of like that ease of that developer mindset. They're just super well-versed. They've been connected, despite it being a communist country. They have always been connected to the, uh, you know, to the wide world web um, and to the internet. And then you just have very interesting economic, um, you know, uh, investments on the ground, opening up to the global economy. And then again, to your point um, that you've both made, which is this this hungry young demographic who's very literate um, in technology and ready to put it to work and leapfrog and join the global economy. Axie Infinity kind of taps into all of those sensibilities, but most importantly, that play-to-earn sensibility. What else can we see out of Asia that is going to take the world by storm, in your view? Yeah, I, th I think to add on that point just now, um, you know, Angie, when, when you mentioned that, I think one of the things that at least I observe, I mean, this is just my anecdotal observation. I don't have enough data to back it up yet. Um, is that it's Asia in, in general, right? Or Southeast Asia and plus Asia, we see a lot of returnees, right? These are people who probably made it, you know, in the US or in, in Europe or some other parts of the world where it's more developed. And then when they came back into this part of the, of the region, They've contributed back. They've started their own companies because they have, you know, the kind of experience that they, they probably wouldn't have gotten, uh, you know, in Asia itself. So like, I think like in Axie Infinity's case, um, you know, one of the founders uh, being local Vietnamese, um, he has a lot of, uh, you know, experience, uh, not just in Vietnam, but also, ex you know, externally. So I think these kind of, uh, of, of experienced entrepreneurs, experienced uh, even, you know, corporate leaders who come back and then start, start businesses here, this will be the boom, right, for, for Asia because you, you, you have to be trained somewhere else, learn the, the hard lessons, the hard knocks, come back to Asia and study the game, right? We've seen that in, in China with all the, you know, the unicorns from China. I'm sure we will see that also in Southeast Asia in the, in the coming, you know, next couple of years.
Well, we, we, you know, we talk about GAME, uh, but G-A-M-E, also an acronym for games, arts, media, entertainment, the use and participation of blockchain technology in these industries have been booming this year, powered by the rise of NFTs and DeFi. How important in your view are these key industries to the early stages of blockchain technology? What investment opportunities uh, are you seeing particularly right now in this space? There are a lot. There are many of you talk about the investment uh, opportunity in the gaming, art, music, and entertainment. And, and the blockchain technology slash NFT really is the enabler to uh, further develop um, all these startups in the, in the field. In the past, um, of, for example, using music, um, all the artists um, are basically getting ripped off by all these uh, publishers or, or studios. Uh, but now with the um, NFT slash um, blockchain technology, they basically can take most of the ownership and they can monetize the most. Um, so uh, music is definitely one of them. Uh, others uh, like art, um, even if like there's still a quite a lot of value for physical art product, but um, there's a huge booming in the art uh, space uh, using uh, the non fungible token. So um, and we we all seen the latest. Um, I think the biggest expensive um, NIT, I mean uh, NFT costs uh, over sixty nine million just for one piece of uh, token. So yes. Yeah, people's, um, but look, the, uh, we, we cover this, we've been covering the, the NFT uh, uh, market cap, and it is incredible to see the tr- kind of trading volume growth, um, even in just the past couple of months, really superseding what we've seen traditionally in the space, including, you know, altcoins and, and Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, this is the speed of growth that is extraordinarily interesting. So you've got two groups here. One group that says, yes, all in, this is the next wave. Another group still scratching their head and saying, what is the value of NFTs? This is made up stuff. This is digitally created something out of nothing. And all of a sudden these things are worth millions, got market cap of billions, trading volume of hundreds of millions a day. What's going on? So guys, what's going on? <laughs> well, I think the first thing you got to do is to understand and get yourself educated. I think this is the key. Um, I wouldn't, if you, if you, this is my personal opinion, I wouldn't ask anybody to jump. Um, even if you want to learn, that with a very little bit amount of money, uh, considered as a um, fee to pay uh, to get to know what it is. You know, having having a um, an NFT wallet, how does it work? Um, or buy a little bit of uh, token. Uh, or or Bitcoin as as a ex experiment, but throughout the whole process, you got to understand a lot the private key, public key, um, the whole transaction, which are the most um, safest or um, with the highest volume of exchange. Every single thing that you do, you actually learn. You lo- you got to understand a lot. Um, but one thing we wanted to clarify is, Trugable Ventures is a hundred percent equity fund. Uh, at the end of the day, if we believe in a, a company, we do not invest into cryptocurrency. We do, we only invest into their the equity. Uh, but if they give us the token as a bonus, we wouldn't say no. Um, that's all. <laughs> yeah, and and just to add on to to Bowie's uh, you know points, I think 
you know, I mean, I've talked to a lot of traditional investors and they are like, Kelly, tell me what is this whole NFT about? Is it, is it just one big scam? Is it, you know, is it going to be, uh, you know, money laundering? You know, they, they, all the, the typical kind of, uh, you know, citizens, uh, you know, kind of doubts comes, come to mind, right? So I think, uh, the best way for, for, at least for now that we've found to explain this is really that it is about the change of, um, you know, the revolution of digital ownership, right? Because NFTs represent um, digital ownership and it could be your house. It could be, you know, it could be something digital assets. It could be even a domain name. It could be, uh, you know, anything that's offline or online. Anything that you have, you have to prove your digital ownership, NFTs can affect. So in a way, it's, it's, it's crypto, but not really. And we see that, um, you know, there is actually a divergence in terms yeah. of, you know, adoption of NFTs. Because today you can go to any projects, not any yet, but most projects, you can sign up uh, using a credit card. You don't even, they don't even ask you what is your crypto wallet. They won't ask you for Ethereum or, or you know, Bitcoin. And I think it's, it's getting more, more and more mainstream. So we will see a lot more NFTs being adopted in various parts. Some that we cannot even imagine, right? Right now. Uh, yeah. And I think that's where the innovation will come. And that's when NFTs, block, you know, blockchain, all this will show true value, right? So, so I think today a lot of people are, yeah. are thinking it's very speculative, right? Because art is very speculative in, in nature, whether it's offline or even now digital art. But we see things like, you know, um, digital ownership of, of uh, game assets. This has been, you know, billions of dollars of, you know, in terms of, of, of value in, in, the, in the traditional game market, right? It's just yep. that now it is true digital ownership. You can trade it and you can actually generate, I mean, the IP owners can actually generate a fee out of it, right? So basically they can generate a monthly recurring revenue. So this is a new revenue source for, for the game companies. So that's why they're, they're adopting this very quickly, right? Um, and and they're, they're seeing value in this. You know, um, and familiar to all of us in the space, Yatsu, who's uh, chairman of Animoca Brands and, and prolific, uh, you know, leader in this space, talking about NFTs and gaming and all the rest, really a decade before anybody else was really paying attention. Um, but but talking about just what that ecosystem, the value of the metaverse ecosystem actually is when it is about community and people are there and there is an integrated ecosystem that supports that, which is the game, right? And, you know, how, how do we find value in these relationships? And then therein lies, um, you know, NFTs or tokens, because if you think about it, at the end of the day, the underlying security of an NFT is what you and I create, right? So it could be music, it could be content, it could be art, it could be really anything. Um, we could, we are seeing it, you know, in K-pop right now. We're seeing it engaged in sports right now. But you're you're totally right. The the you know the future is still being defined uh, as we speak. But I think what's really interesting about NFTs is that it's that next level of finding value in this space and getting rid of the middleman. I could just directly, I could still just directly, you know, participate and leave, you know, pretty much without having to deal with somebody's you know, music label or manager or, you know, branding group, whatever the case is. Absolutely. And, and I think creating these opportunities also creates some threat because now for NFTs, right? And for, I mean, in 
crypto in, in general is it's going back to the user's uh, you know responsibility right in a bank you put money in and you you assume the bank will keep your money safe right in this case because you own the wallet <laughs> yes you own the wallet you own the nft anything is i mean if you if you have laps of, of security it's your fault right because you know it, it's basically yours right so so i think the the you know that even though yes it gives a lot of benefits here but it, it goes back to the user again this is now your security you have to take care of it yourself no one is responsible except yourself right and this creates also some opportunities like for example would there be you know new secure uh, computer security companies that just target this right i just want to defend the you know the the the, the your wallet i want to defend your token i want to defend your nft how can i or how can a company or, or companies out there create solutions for, for users to kind of know like oh you know now i'm bank grade security right i'm not just uh, you know having a very weak password in my computer i can be hacked anytime i would just you know give away my 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 passphrase anytime right so these are all dangers right that are out there yeah, don't Scams. use your birthday or your phone number please don't use that <laughs> yes don't, don't do that and don't don't make don't use your, your password as password i think that's that's the worst don't, yeah don't don't use hello <laughs> yeah no, don't do that just to add to uh, Kelly's point, right? I think one of the uh, the current uh, problem is um, the the market is hot, and uh, there's a lot of pump and dump, especially in the NFT space. To give you an example, um, you could have one. Um, you can create your own NFT for for example, one picture you created, and um, you at the same time use a hundred ether to purchase it to create a fake transaction. Now your NFT is worth 100 either. So, and at the end you can actually sell it at 50 and people will buy because they saw that, okay, the previous price was 100 either, I'm, I'm, I got 50% off. So that's how they make money. That's how they, you know, pump and bump, pump and dump. Those are the things that, that this space really screams out to the need for regulators. How do you view the role of regulators in Asia, uh, as they even compare, you know, globally as well. H how do you view the regulatory space? Yeah, maybe I can start with the Singapore side of things first because uh, we, we we see a lot of innovations here. I think I think regulators should be very clear, right? What is possible, what is not possible. Just like the MES in Singapore, right? The Monetary Authority of Singapore, they are very clear, right? This this is allowed. This is not allowed. And I think it helps a lot if the uh, authorities themselves are innovative in the sense that they're trying new, you know, different projects. Like, for example, I think the MES in Singapore here are trying some of these uh, CBDCs, right? Central bank digital currencies. So, so this is a signal to, to the private, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, private uh, investors that they are willing to try, which means that if you go towards the direction, you probably will not be, uh, you know, getting into trouble and you can sleep well at night, probably, right? So I think uh, you know regulators should definitely show you know some sort of leadership, or at least make it very clear what is possible, what is not possible, so that you know the innovation can actually thrive. Because if the, if the signals are not strong, right, or at least the signals are not clear, it's very risky, right? Some people may try it, some people may not, uh, and you will not foster an environment of innovation. So at least this is from I, I would say the Singapore point of view. Uh, yeah, but Bowie, I don't know whether you have any other thoughts on this. Well, the spotlight is in China because everybody is keen on watching all the development in the Chinese China space. Uh, the regulators have been actively clarifying their 
dense in detail for different industries, which is a good thing. Um, while overall the regulation seems to be well intentional, uh, it will take some time for people to adjust and adopt. Um, and China is anyway leading the blockchain space, like the government-backed CBDC pilots and lots of uh, fintech applications. But the, another interesting um, country is India. India is mm. another market that has neither totally clearly stated that crypto are allowed um, and supported, nor completely banned. Right. So there's a lot of uh, legislative um, and regulatory dialogue still happening to define the way forward. Um, a change of regulation is not unique to it, just to Asia. Uh, yep. Recently, you know, just finance uh, has been facing some challenge in UK and in Singapore with regulators discussing requirements in order to be regulated. Um, to your point, India, I want to just quickly pick up on that. Um, it is a very kind of, uh, you know, ever-changing landscape. You know, there, there's there's oscillation. Of course, we're seeing it in, in other countries as well. But I wonder, as VCs, does this turn you off or does this excite you about India? That excites me. <laughs> I do yeah. have a deep connection to India because my husband is from there. So through that, um, I got to... Um, I got to expand my network a lot and uh, I got to um, know a lot of good, um, huge, uh, basically there's a lot of hidden treasures in the country. Um, the, the treasures itself, that's what I refer to. Uh, that personally excites me the most. Uh, but I'm mindful of the fact that it is a bit challenging as a foreign investor investing in the country. There's a lot of um, regulatory and taxation challenges that you have to overcome, um, especially currently uh, with the uh, current situation. All these Chinese capital are banned to enter to India market. So uh, I guess you just need to um, get yourself educated more before you get into the market. That and if you're Chinese, sense. then you have to put on hold for now. Yeah. Well, that, you know, it kind of opens the door for anybody who, you know, is actually an invited foreign investor into India, um, paying attention to what you're seeing and what excites you. I'm curious, you said there's a lot of hidden treasures. Can you tell, you, you don't have to name any names, but what do you see that that's a diamond in hiding? You have to look for it. It's very time consuming. It's, it's hard work. Um I, um, as a matter of fact, I did uh, and, uh, an event called the Hidden Treasure of India last year just to focus on this topic. Um, um, the startup wise, um, I, I guess I wouldn't uh, name uh, the companies, but then they are put, uh, offering a cold storage solution for the country. As you know, it's, it's a really hot um, uh, place and the challenge to be able to deliver um, fresh um, dairy products as well as medical items, um, maintain a certain amount of temperature uh, within, and, and also to be able to deliver on time yeah. um, is the major challenge that the country is facing. Yes. And this company is providing this solution. So, and, and doing really good, especially during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, not wallets, literally keeping something cold in storage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and using blockchain, uh, assuming to keep that kind of supply chain. That could be a potential for them to develop uh, using blockchain to, oh, I guess, well, uh, record all the data. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> for supply chain. Absolutely. So from India, let's talk about China here. Uh, China is such an incredible 
space um, for blockchain, uh, very specifically not in love with cryptocurrency itself, tolerates it to a certain degree. But when we talk about the regulatory environment, that can switch. Uh, and sometimes it switches, uh, you know, um, within days or, or even, even suddenly. Um, and we've seen that. I mean, for those of us in the region, we've just we've seen that this is this is not a stranger to us. Does that concern you, though, as you invest in this space? How do you regard China? What, what's what's your feeling? What's your thoughts on the opportunities in China and potentially the challenges? I think China has has a very deep link into Asia itself. Right. So. Um, when, when we look at some of these technologies uh, out of, of China, there are actually a lot of the teams are based in Singapore and they're also based in other parts of Asia uh, because the team is, you know, you can see they're fully from, from China itself. Um, I think a lot of the technologies that they are, they are looking at, especially in blockchain, solves a lot of the problems that they have faced in such a large country, right? And I think some of these are transferable to like, you know, markets like in India or even like Indonesia where, you know, the population is, is vast. Uh, there's a there's a lot of islands in between somewhere, or, or you know, so a lot of borders. So I think um, you know a lot of these a lot of these uh, technologies from China. Uh, I think they are definitely definitely replicable in this region, and uh, you know those are the kind of comp companies that we would like to look look for, right? And then sort of invest because they are not only solving the problems in China, but also solving the world's problem. Um, and I think those are the technologies that yeah will will probably stand out, and will one day probably also become world worldwide, right, and, and world-recognized. Bowie, how about you? As you know, China is a leading uh, position in terms of uh, blockchain and CBDC. So uh, a lot of uh, big companies or, or startup are benefited uh, from the, the government support. So uh, that's still a bright future for them, uh, especially for, you know, a lot of fintech applications. And those fintech applications can be, um, can be used outside of the country. So still qu have quite a lot of, um, I guess potential. But, um, I'm also, uh, mindful of the fact that it could be, um, I think the, the another potential challenge I would say is that, um, they, it has to be centralized. So it, they, perhaps would not be um, considered having a decentralized mo model. There, and so therein lies the, the interesting parallel um, about blockchain in China. Um, there's one, there's a domestic policy, and then there's an international one, which, you know, they're, they're building out with the international version of blockchain services network. Um, but if we, okay, so we talked about India and China, and as you know, we, we kind of covered the big two in the region. And before I let you guys go, I got to ask you, in the region right now, from Malaysia to Philippines, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, et cetera, et cetera, and, and Japan, South Korea, all, all of these countries that kind of exist within our territory, what do you think is, what's the most exciting space right now? What, what are the, the hidden treasures but I'm going to borrow your your phrase: the hidden treasure in in um, uh, the Asia Pacific region. And I'll I'll let both of you share some hidden treasures with us. Sure, maybe I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really a, a treasure hunter, but uh, yeah, 
treasures sometimes Well, by come. default, as a VC, you're a treasure hunter. <laughs> by, sometimes the treasures do come to knocking, right? They, so it's, it's true. It's, it's yeah, it depends on on you know who finds who first. Um, and and it's all about you know warm referrals, right? When when people come in and say, hey, you know, I know TGV helps you know you know companies in this space. Uh, why don't you you know have a look at these guys? Because it's not possible for everyone to know every startup, right? But it's it's possible to have a very strong network, uh, in order to get the best deals. But I think that's how we were we are you know positioned ourselves. Uh, so some some hidden treasures, I would say. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't spot any particular country because they could really come from anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I think some of the the hidden treasures out there will definitely be how uh, you know companies could actually develop uh, for the services on top of NFTs. I think I think uh, you know NFTs today are, are very limited in terms of the use case. You know, mostly art, mostly games. You know, kind of sometimes ownership of uh, even domain names and some utilities. But I think there is a lot of of opportunity for you know companies to actually create all the fringe services that are around NFTs. Be it you know kind of pricing it, trying to get loans out of NFTs, trying to uh, you know create a whole ecosystem of financial services around it. A little bit of what I touched touch upon just now, right? Um, so I think there is going to be a lot of opportunities here because I think Asia has a lot of still some unbanked, right? And, and and of course, it's still developing. So I think there will be a lot of uh, localized kind of heroes that will come out. These are the hidden gems that we're looking for. Uh, and, I, and I think these are the ones that, uh, you know, we, we are very keen to, to explore more with. It's an interesting question that you asked, Angie, because uh, if we talk about gaming, people can have all these uh, fantasy in the metaverse uh, space. Um, and in there, they can be whoever they want, uh, whatever they want and wherever they want. So, uh, but when, when they get into this space and actually be able to play and earn and manage to bring food to the table, like what Kelly mentioned, um, uh, that really changed their world big time, especially during the pandemic, because lots of people lost their job. They lost their business. So. I would say, I wouldn't name a specific country, but I would say all the developing countries have huge potentials to grow big time. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Hey, just, that's just our thesis. On. Sorry, Sorry go just ahead. To add on, Bowie, I think, I think there'll be a lot of games coming, NFT games that, that, that will, because the NFT gaming market is, is still in its nascency, right? It's still very, very early. There are no, I mean, none of the triple A titles are out there, right? In the traditional gaming market, all the big boys are there. They have, they have loads of money, loads of uh, you know, kind of uh, budgets to to do great artwork, great storyline, you know, great great games. But none of these are in NFTs yet, right? A lot of them are still, I would say, you know, single A or double A kind of titles. So it's still very very early. There are a lot of great studios, I'm sure, in Asia and, and other parts of the world who are going into this whole NFTs. So it's still nascent, and I, I, you know, we we we're very excited. I'm sure there will be a lot of new NFT games and even entertainment, right? That is going to be coming out from Asia and and beyond. That's truly the kind of coverage um, that that keeps us busy at Forecast. It's 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 thick with innovation. It's thick with with startup founders. Um, and and what I find most interesting being in this space is that. It is not just a technology story. It is a developing nation story. It is an emerging market story. It is a demographic story. It is an individual story. Um, 
And all of those things combined that, that, ex, that uniquely exist in Asia is, is truly, I, I think, uh, I'll, you know, it's, it's fertile ground for, for hidden treasures. Well, you two are hidden treasures, uh, but hidden no more. Uh, and for all the world to see and hear from Kelly Chu, Bowie Lau, um, it's such a pleasure to invite you to the show. And thank you so much for kind of uh, sharing some secret sauce with, with the rest of the world. Uh, I'm sure there, there's going to be a lot of uh, peaked interests and raised eyebrows and, and uh, a little bit more attention paid to this part of the world. But thanks for, thanks for sharing a little bit more as to why this region is so exciting and also what more needs to be done. It was a pleasure to have you both on the show. What a pleasure. Thank you, Angie. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this latest episode of Word on the Block. I'm Angie Lau, Editor-in-Chief of Forecast News. Until the next time.